0: Welcome to The Hif Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. This event was recorded live at the Feakston-Olpekelia Crime Writing Festival. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Sir. Thank
1: you.
0: That was for me. Hi. Uh, Obviously. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to this very intimate in conversation <laughs> with uh, Val McDermott. Please, uh, you've, you've already applauded her, but please give her a huge, rousing welcome to the stage this evening. Thank you. Oh. Uh, thanks. Uh, Val asked me to come down and uh, talk to her because, uh, you know, we don't see each other a lot, do we? Not really. Not really. Through choice. Um, LAUGHTER I've, I've tried to get you to lose my phone number, but you keep well, calling. Well, that's what the internet's for, Val. <laughs> so So, um, Val and I have known each other for a while, haven't we? Just so, just so you're aware of the background of this conversation. Because it's not going to be a traditional someone interviewing an author about their book, is it?
1: I imagine not.
0: No. <laughs> I've prepared I'm a trying special
1: i not to be too frightened.
0: <laughs> I've prepared a special quick fire round for the end of questions. I just fancy asking you. <laughs> uh, better talk about the fact you write stuff. Um the first book I ever read of yours, Val, was the Lindsay Gordon uh, series, which is still some of my favourite books that you have written. Um, and I'm always curious, how did that start? Because it was the first, that was the first series, you know, yeah. wasn't it? How did you come up with the idea for the Lindsay Gordon stories?
1: Well, I'd, I'd always read a lot of crime fiction from being wee. Um, I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents, and the only books they had in the house were a copy of the Bible, which had very small print and thin paper that I was frightened of tearing, um, <laughs> and a copy of Agatha Christie's The Murder at the Vicarage. I don't know why they had that book, um, because neither of them ever read anything except for the Daily Express. <laughs> um, but uh, I, whenever I ran out of library books, that's what I read. And so I, I, I kind of had this love affair with Agatha Christie, and then from that, it sort of spread out across the genre. So when, when, I, when I left university, I decided, I, by this time I had started, decided I wanted to be a writer when I grew up. Um, once I realized you got paid money for it, I thought, I can, I can do that, I can tell lies. <laughs> and, and uh, when, I, when I left Oxford, I thought that, you know, having my Oxford degree in English, I should write the great English novel. Yes. And I was really, really bad at it. Right. Um, so I tried to do this and did failed. You try and,
0: did you try and write some form of very kind of neurotic, deep.
1: Aye. Did you? It was tortured human relationships oh, was all it? the way. Really? Uh, all the big emotions, you know, love, hate, betrayal, jealousy, wow. rage, wow. grief. Wow kind of thing where you know, somebody has to try and kill themselves in the second to last chapter. Yeah. And, um, and it was turned down by, I think, every publishing house in London. Right. Um, by the end, I was getting letters from people I hadn't sent it to. If <laughs> you've heard about this book, don't. Um, and, and, but, but I was still determined that I wanted to write. Um, and so I eventually realized that what I should maybe do was actually try and write something that I understood. And the crime novel seemed to me to be something that you know I knew how it worked. You have to have a dead body. Yep. You have to have some kind of detective. Yep. You've got to have lots of suspects or yep. no suspects at all. And then at the end, you have to find out something about who did it. Um, So I thought I could maybe do that as a basic shape. And if I make my central character a journalist, then I'm sorted because I know what journalists do. Um, (coughs) Yeah. The good and the bad. Yes. Um, And so I started writing, I I, I started thinking about what kind of crime novel I was going to write. And I didn't I I knew I couldn't write a sort of English village mystery because when I went to Oxford, um, I realised that the Agatha Christie novels might as well be science fiction. For all the relationship they bore to reality, yep. um, in terms of setting and all that, was, I mean, I grew up in mining communities in Fife. You know, we didn't have retired couples. Which is quite different from arm. an
0: English village. Just to, if you don't, if you've never been to Fife, it's quite different from an English village. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: In almost every respect. Yes. Uh, except that the people generally have four limbs. <laughs> Um, And and so I I, I didn't really know what I could could write. And then uh, somebody sent me Sarah Poretsky's first novel. uh, And I I was just blown away by this. It was an urban setting, which I understood. It had a female character who had a brain and a sense of humour and agency. She actually got to do stuff. She didn't have to get big men in every time you needed to arrest somebody or anything. Um, And so I I had politics as well. um, And I thought, this is the kind of book I would really like to write. And so I started writing the Lindsay Gordon novels. um, And Lindsay's a journalist, she's Scottish, she's lesbian. Um, No connection to me whatsoever there. Um, And uh, in in many respects, I mean, I look back on those books now, uh, and and underneath that sort of lesbian feminist gloss, they're actually quite traditional mysteries Mm -hmm. in the way that they're structured. But at the time, nobody else was writing anything quite like that. And uh, the women's press... um, I sent the book to the women's press and they accepted it right away. I think because I, I, I was the beneficiary of the, the early success of Sarah Paretsky and Sue Grafton and Marsha Muller over here, um, and, and British publishers saw what was happening with this sort of new wave of American women's crime fiction and, and thought they wanted to get, get on board with that. So right book, right place, right time.
0: I have always been slightly disappointed, though, that a number of your books have been adapted for television or in other regards. but. The Lindsay Gordon books, to me, would, would be just as fresh and interesting now as they were when you wrote them. And I wanted to ask you if you think that, be- that one of the reasons why they haven't been adapted is because the main character is a lesbian.
1: I think that's the main reason, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember once, it's, it's quite a few years ago now, but uh, a friend of mine who who's, uh, wanted to option Lindsay Gordon books, and she, she was quite a successful drama producer. You know, she'd actually got stuff made and on the telly, uh, and she, she sent a proposal to ITV, um, and she got a letter back from the head of drama at ITV, which basically began, have you lost your mind? Why would you think that we'd want to make a drama with a lesbian central character? This is absurd. Yeah. Go away and don't bother me with this ever again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I might have had something to do with it. Well, you it. couldn't,
0: because lesbians, lesbians on television always have to die yeah. in order for the narrative to make sense. Yeah. Whenever yes. there's a, a notorious joke amongst lesbians, I know a couple, um, and it's always, if there's a lesbian on screen, you just watch and wait for their inevitable... Just, it's usually when they're happy. Uh-huh. They, they remember Happy Valley. Happy Valley. <laughs> yeah. They find love, have a baby, and she's knocked over by it, spoiler, she's Sorry. knocked over... Well, wrong one, that's Last Tango. Oh, there's another yeah, Last yeah. Tango. Yeah. They just knocked over by a Land Rover the day after our wedding. It's great, isn't it? She hadn't even opened the John Lewis presents.
1: (laughs) And we are here to say that, you know, lesbians can find love and happiness and not be dead. Yes.
0: Neither of us are dead. And both of us are happy, I think. Um, (laughs) if, If Lindsay Gordon was to be adapted for television, (laughs) <laughs> would make a good person to play Lindsay Gordon Ooh. on the television, being that she is a Scottish lesbian. Well,
1: <laughs> obviously, Susan, you would be the perfect choice. Oh, shut choice. up! Val.
0: Shut up! Oh no, Val! Just absolutely perfect choice. Oh God, oh, that's just come out of nowhere, ladies and gentlemen. Huh? That's- that's, and, um, a, that's yeah. an absolute shocker to everybody. Yeah. Given, yeah. That, given that Tilda Swinton's
1: a little bit more mature now, I think it would have to be you. But that didn't work. Tilda did it?
0: Swinton would never play Lindsay Gordon. She has to be somebody battling against society. Tilda Swinton is—it's uh, not that I'm not a bonny lass, but <laughs> Tilda Swinton's far too statuesque to be, you know a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You've you've had a very sheltered life, (laughs) haven't you, Susan? I've never met a tall one. (laughs) Stick with me, darling.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's just because they're all short in Scotland. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, it's a a very interesting thing because in comedy, it's what you're talking about, and what I think is great about crime fiction that is being produced, is that women are allowed to be the protagonist and drive the narrative. In comedy, uh, I wrote a sitcom for Radio 4 with the lovely Ashley Jensen, and there was a whole three pages where the guy didn't say anything funny. And the producer said, I think you've forgotten to give him jokes. And I said, no, the women have the jokes. That's the point of the show. Because usually women set up the jokes and the men tell the jokes. And I think it's when you first started doing that, it was quite a rare thing. But actually, it's changed the way that people read and see crime fiction. And you didn't set out to do that in the beginning. You were just writing what you wanted to write.
1: I've, I've always written the books I wanted to write. That's all that's ever mattered to me. Um, I never had one eye on the market um, or one eye on the money. I just, I always wrote books. I was, I've always written books I was passionate about. So right from the beginning, yeah, people say to me, why did you make her a lesbian? I mean, you could have been more successful if you'd not made her a lesbian. I said, well, it was the book I wanted to write. It was the story I wanted to tell. It was the story that was, was in my head and, and in my heart. Um, and so those are the books that I wrote. Um, I mean, in commercial terms, it was it was madness, really. Yeah. Um, the first Lindsey Gordon novel, the advance I got for that would have paid my mortgage for six weeks, um, and that, not not anything else, not my electricity bills, not my food bills, nothing, just the mortgage. Um, but interestingly, that those books have never been out of print yeah. since they were first published. And actually, the, the thing that always was, was cheers cheers me up now is that. Every year that goes by, I earn more from that book, that first novel, than I got as an advance the first time around. Yeah. So um, I, I think there was, there was certainly, um, at the beginning, it, it wasn't a sensible way to think about making a living as a writer. But it, it, was, it was the books I wanted to write. And for me, it was enough that I wrote the books that I wanted to write, and somebody published them, and three people read them.
0: Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. I- Still, I've still got the copy. I've told you this before. Yeah. It was uh, presented to my friend Libby Brooks, who's now the Scotland editor of The Guardian, uh, on prize-giving day for being amazing. And I stole it. <laughs> and I open it up, and it's got a lovely thing on it, saying to Libby Brooks for being the best people at school. And I took it from her. <laughs> I haven't given it back, mind you. Uh, uh, J.K. Rowling uh, talks about books uh, that she wished she'd written, I remember she signed one of Philip Pullman's books and said, I wish I'd written these dark materials. Are there any books that you've read that you think, of course, you cannot write other people's books, but has there been a book that you have read and you think, God, I wish I'd come up with that or I wish I'd written that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of a couple of books that, that um, I really have always kind of felt that about. I mean, the first one was Treasure Island, which I encountered uh, when I was quite young. and. Um, <coughs> I encountered it as, as what we now call a graphic novel. Back then we called it a comic. <laughs> um, and my, my great uncle was always buying comics for his grandson in the, in the vague hope that this would encourage him to read because he wasn't very much of a, of a reader. Um, so I used to, to inherit all these, these comics um, and I remember reading this this um, version of Treasure Island as, as a comic book and just thinking this was such a great story. Um, and then I realized, came to realise that this was actually a book as well as just pictures. Um, and I remember going and getting it out of the library and just like just loved it. Um, and it's, it's a book I go back to again and again because I think it's a book that's got everything. It's got great characters. Everybody knows who Long John Silver is. You know, everybody does the, ah, Jim lad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad West Country accent. Yep. Um, and, and, but the story is the great. Uh, the settings are really good. It's got suspense, it's got adventure, and it's really beautifully written. And every time... Um, I go back to it, I find, something, I find something new. But one of the things that I realize now about Treasure Island that, that captivated me so much is that it's got an open ending. As a reader, I like books that leave me someplace for my imagination to go at the end of the book. It's not like <coughs> everything's finished now. Uh, but the books where, where two days later, you're, you're, you're sort of like you know standing waiting for the bus, or you're, you're in the shower, you're thinking, oh, but what if this had happened? And Treasure Island has got this great open ending. Long John Silver is still out there. He's in the wind. There's still silver on the island. And you just think... I I always think if if Stevenson had lived longer, he would have written a sequel to Treasure Island, but he didn't. So what we've got is the sequel of our imagination. And I love that about about the book.
0: Don't you think, though, uh, things change, and people are changing? So, for example, um, the ending of The Sopranos, spoiler alert, (laughs) is quite an open-ended... Ending. That's all I'll say. (laughs) And I like that, because you go, oh, I wonder what happened after that. You haven't concluded it for me. But these days, especially young people... Young people. um, We don't have any of them in the room. Young people, with their lack of imagination, they feel quite concerned if they don't know everything. And it's partly because of the internet. You watch a film, but before you've watched the film, you've seen the trailers, you know the cast, you know everything about it, you've seen the posters, you see the trivia, people have written other articles about it, it's all this stuff. Mm. Instead of it just being, just read the book. Just read a book and let it go wherever it's going to Mm. go. So, I mean, I think that's, I think people are changing, the younger generation are changing slightly in terms of what they want. They want things quickly and they want to know the answers to things. Remember when you used to sit in a pub val and and have a conversation where you didn't know the answer? Do you remember when people used to go, oh, what's that film? And you would talk all night about what the film was. Yeah. And someone didn't go, hang on a second. Yeah, it was that one. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah. I miss those days.
1: Sorry, you can just you can just go to pubs where they don't have a signal.
0: Are there such things? There are such
1: things, yeah. I used to live in in a small Northumberland village that had five pubs and four quiz nights. And not one of the pubs had a phone signal. So you could actually have proper quiz nights. wasn't wasn't somebody underneath the table googling.
0: You did pointless, didn't you? I did. I've done pointless.
1: Well, don't talk about that, do we, Mark Billingham? Are you in the house? (laughs) I said the Lone Ranger. I said go with the Lone Ranger. It's not that I'm bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Really, you're not bitter at all.
0: When you gave me a list of things not to talk about, Pointless was not on the list, (laughs) Val (laughs) McDermott. Did you not win?
1: No. We got down to the last two. The first time, the first time I did it, the first oh, time... Oh God, I she's angry stop. now, not <laughs> <way? laughs>
0: so
1: I'd really better, better not go there, but, but uh, no, we, we, got to, we got to the final two pairs. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and then it all went tits up, really. Really? Yeah, really.
0: But you're like over it now? But I'm over it now. It's, I'm not, <laughs> it's I'm not, I'm I'm not bothered. I'm
1: not bothered, you know, I'm not bothered. Would you I mean, go on I'm not competitive, list? you know, I'm not competitive. Would you go
0: on pointless with me, Val? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: In, in a heartbeat.
0: Mine, mine's broadcast in September. I can't tell you how I did. But
1: have you won Celebrity Mastermind? No, I and haven't. And have you beaten the eggheads?
0: No, I haven't. Uh, and you have j- you
1: been on the winning team in Only Connect?
0: Did you? No, I've been a, I've been a, I've been a this question. This is getting pathetic I've, now. I've been a question in Only Connect and I, it was the happiest moment of my life. Yes.
1: Because
0: it's the only question and Only Connect I've been able to answer. <laughs> um, uh, yes, we should go on Pointless together. Um, We've been asked this before, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that uh, Scotland, uh, Scotchland, where we're both from, uh, produces an awful lot of incredibly good uh, crime writers. Uh And uh, people have talked before about why it is that we managed to do that. Why do you think it is, first of all, that Scotland has such a reputation for producing such good crime fiction?
1: Well, I think I think some of the reason is is actually is a a, it's a kind of political one. Um, Really, until the late 1970s, there was no Scottish crime fiction to speak of. There was a couple of landmarks in in, in the the landscape. There was there was Jekyll and Hyde, there was Conan Doyle. And before that, there was um, James Hogg's Confessions of a Justified Sinner. But really, we didn't have much of a tradition of crime fiction at all. And then in the late 1970s, William McIlvaney wrote a book called Laidlaw, which was an extraordinary novel. Uh, It was the first time I had read a novel that was actually written in the kind of language, the kind of dialogue that I heard in the streets around me. It was was how working class people in Scotland actually spoke to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It was also a novel that that was was, was full of, of an almost poetic language. And I don't think it's entirely coincidental that Laidlaw came out at the time that Scotland was having its first devolution referendum, and the Scots were actually looking at ourselves, we were, we were examining ourselves, who are we, what kind of people are we, what kind of people do we want to be, what are our aspirations, what, what is the future going to be like for us, it was, for the, I think it was a, a way of looking at ourselves that was different from just the, the, the sort of binary of we're not the English and we don't like them very much. Yeah. Um, and and. At the same time that this was happening in, in, in political terms, the crime novel was also, I think, becoming much more of, a, a, of an expression, a, a way to write about social history, a way to write about the society we lived in. Because the, the mainstream literary novel at that point had become very obsessed with literary theory and uh, the academy, uh, and, and it was all about postmodernism and the death of the author and the death of the text. And it was as if. Writers of literary fiction had forgotten that there were readers out there who actually wanted to engage with a narrative. So crime writers were stepping up to the plate and, and taking over the narrative space. And we started writing about the world we lived in. We started writing about crime in a very different way. Um, the, the sort of golden age had been very much about... Um, you, had, you had these English villages or, or wherever, metropolitan police or whatever, and they kind of bolted these crimes on uh, as a sort of you know, optional add-on to the village. But in the 1970s and 80s, it started in America and then came over here. People started writing crime fiction that was much more organic. It came from the city it was about. It arose from the circumstances of the people that you were writing about. So it had it had a much more much more sense of social realism. Mm-hmm. And so we started uh, writing crime fiction, I think, as a way of, of, of having a conversation with ourselves about what we wanted to be, what the future held. Where have we come from? Where are we going? And, and so that that... that became an option for writers. Willie McIlvaney opened the door and Ian Rankin and I pushed it a wee bit further open and yeah. then behind us there was this great tidal surge that's actually flattened us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it has been a way that that conversation has continued. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the ways, I mean, as well as the tremendous entertainment, it opened the door, it opened possibilities for writers that they hadn't really seen before. Uh, and I think what, what often happens with these things, you know, it starts off as, as a wee trickle and then people see it as a possibility yeah. and they get excited about what you can do with the form and the, the way that the crime novel was expanding at the same time that all this was happening and it all just it came together yeah. all at the same time. And now we have um, an extraordinary range of Scottish crime fiction and an extraordinary range of crime writers writing about all sorts of stuff it was, with dead bodies. Yes,
0: it was... Um, <clears throat> I think it's slightly later on, but I, growing up in Scotland, eh, you watched television and there was the White Heather Club and there was. I listened. clear, lovely woman. Nothing yes. against her. The first I time. I missed the
1: White Heather Club.
0: Oh gosh, it was good. I wanted. I pitched Jimmy
1: to. Jimmy his I pitched
0: to Radio Four to have a new White Heather Club for Hogmanay on Radio Four. Oh. Where we did uh, an updated White Heather Club, they said. We could just.
1: just ( prosecutor) Hello!
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) The moment moment things changed, and I think it's interesting in terms of, as you're talking about Scotland, the moment things changed for me was when I heard my first Billy Connolly album, Mm. because you had albums in those days. (laughs) And I had never heard anyone talking about, it's what you're saying, uh, Partick, where I lived at the time. We talk about wandering around party and ringing doorbells to see if anyone had to, You'd just take a carry out and you'd just ring the doorbell and say, is, is Jimmy in? I think it was. Because there was always someone called Jimmy at a party. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard anyone talking the way I talked. Um, and when he talked about jojoba, it was one of the most beautiful things <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and I think sometimes there are moments, though, where a culture shifts. Mm-hmm. Because if there wasn't Billy Connolly, there wouldn't be Kevin Bridges, there wouldn't have been Frankie Boyle, there wouldn't have been me coming through. And it's it's strange how you can trace things back to yeah. a person or a moment yeah. and,
1: where and, things change. Yeah, and Willie was that catalytic moment in, in Scottish, Scottish fiction generally. And Laidlaw was that book. And, no, uh, you know, none of us on the Scottish crime fiction scene, I think, would be here if it hadn't been for that moment. And, and I miss him. Yeah. I miss him very much. Absolutely. Uh, he was—I mean, he wasn't just a great writer. He was—he was a lovely, lovely man of great, great charm and wit. And too, many of you will have seen him on this stage a couple of years ago, uh, talking with Ian Rankin about his career. Um, and that was one of the, the best events I've ever, ever been at. Um, and I'm getting all oh, emotional now. No. Damn it!
0: Absolutely. No, but one of the things—I'm very Susan sorry. Uh, we'll snog later. Um, One of the things I've noticed, I have, and this is not a plug, this is genuinely, I've written my first book, and I'm now doing my book festivals for the first time. And it is an extraordinarily different world to the one I'm used to. Comedy festivals, people will stab you in the face to get in front of a commission. It's a horrible world. People are horrible. Book festivals are the nicest places I have ever been in my entire life. The audiences are lovely. The people who run them are lovely. The other authors are absolutely gourd. It's an extraordinary... You've not been hanging
1: out with the poets, have you? No.
0: <laughs> are they are they like the vicious ones? Aye. Are they like the mean girls uh-huh. of the book festival? sir?
1: Yeah, but without the charm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is a very nice world, the the book world. And I just wonder why... Because it's still a competitive industry that you're in. Why is it... Are so different from the world that I tend to inhabit? Well, I think uh,
1: for crime writers, most of the crime writers I know have come to the genre because they started off as fans. They started off as readers. We love the genre. We're interested in, in what other people are writing. We admire their work. And I think we don't actually feel that it's competitive. You know, if I say to somebody, you should read Denise Minor or you should read Michael Robotham or you should read Mark Billingham, I don't think they're immediately going to go off and read their books and never read me again. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not an, an either-or, so it's, it's, this, is, this is a world, the world of readers is is built hugely on word of mouth and recommendation, and you get to know people who've got similar tastes to you, and they tell you to read this book, and you go away and you read it and go, that was fabulous. Or actually, I don't entirely agree with you about that, because the second half of the book kind of fell away, and I felt the first half was full of promise, and then didn't quite work out, and I threw it across the bedroom and said, for fuck's sake. <laughs> But you have these conversations and it doesn't mean, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't mean, as I say, that you, you, you're not going to read other people's books. And I think that's the I bottom line. I thought we said line. we
0: weren't going to swear tonight, well. Did I? Oops. <laughs> no, you fucked that, <laughs> have you? Well. Um, next question. You started it. Sorry. I think Pokemon Go is the end of the world. LAUGHTER I think it is one of the worst things that has ever happened to the planet. I think in 20 years time, when we're living in an Armageddon, we will point back to Pokemon Go as the moment at which humanity lost its very sanity. When people are wandering around with their phones out catching imaginary animals, it is the worst thing that has ever happened to this planet. Do you agree, Val McDermott? Well,
1: uh, yeah, uh, to a degree, I think I do, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm a gamer, you know, Yeah. I, I, and I think it's a bit mental, to say the least. It's and just it's, wrong. You go, you go, you know, you walk into a railway station now and they've got big signs up saying, don't get so obsessed with your Pokemon Go that you walk onto the rails, you numpty. Well, there was, they don't actually say numpty, but.
0: There was a fantastic uh, uh, tweet from Stirling Police, it was Stirling Police, I think. Uh, saying they've had to put a sign on the top of the police saying this is not a Pokemon stop because someone had a crowbar and was on the top of the police station trying to break in because they thought well, there was a Pokemon in it. <laughs> this is not right.
1: is not real. It's not real. I mean, you know, I play games, but I know that's a game. I know it's not the real world. You know, I'm not going out of my house with a crossbow thinking I'm Lara Croft. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I'd love to see that, Val. <laughs> Just fighting in the middle of Edinburgh. The wee shorts. Doing? I'm Lara Croft. Susan. Of course, I'm Lara Croft. The wee shorts. Of, of course, course. Yeah. of course, Val. Yeah. I, I cannot wait for all of this to happen. <laughs> One thing we do have in common is that we are both gamers. Yeah. Uh, we both play. Middle-aged a lot of women
1: sitting on the sofa in our pants in the middle of the night.
0: Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I I find it very uh, therapeutic. And a lot of people don't understand. I find it very therapeutic to shoot people yeah. on, on the game. And I do find it very therapeutic, indeed. And it, it, I don't find video games make me more violent, because <laughs> you couldn't. Um, why, do you enjoy it? why do you enjoy it?
1: Because it's different from, from what I'm, I'm doing all day, sitting at the screen trying to write. Um, It it seems to engage a different part of my brain. And while that part of my brain is engaged, the creative part of my brain is just like doing its thing in the background. It's like the wheels turning around. So when I go back to whatever it is I'm writing, it just comes out much better. It's it's, it's as if um, the bit that I was stuck on has, has unraveled itself while I've been doing something else. I'm not as good at shooting as you are. I'm actually quite rubbish at killing people. I'm
0: very good at it. Um,
1: so I, I, I've got a tendency towards, towards games where I can do a lot of exploring and, and building worlds and all that. rather than. I'm just not going good at
0: stealth, all. Yeah.
1: I'm you quite know, good at stealth. A, if it's know? a
0: stealth mission, I'd just go in with my AK-47 and shoot everyone. Because I always miss them. <laughs> and I get dead all the time, but, but I did. I, some,
1: sometimes you know you start a, a you start a video game, and, and and these games have these huge elaborate worlds with lots of locations you can visit and inter- interesting things you can do. But sometimes you start in a game and you get obsessed with one particular thing, and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I started playing this game called Skyrim a few years ago. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, I, it, was about, it was exactly that stealth thing. I had all these stealth skills. And what did I do with my stealth skills? I went around stealing cabbages. <laughs> and after a couple of weeks of playing this, I had an entire house full of cabbages. cabbages. And I'm thinking, there's got to be more to this game than this. I've got to try and figure out what this game model is about. It can't be a whole game about stealing cabbages.
0: That would be quite a rubbish game, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I was enjoying myself. Yeah, yeah, sneaking into people's houses, you know, behind the backs, stealing cabbages. I should. <laughs> I'm sorry. Before, st-
0: I, before I forget, you've got a new book coming out, haven't you? Aye,
1: apparently. Yeah, yes. What is yes. it? Uh, it's 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 um it's it's a sort of thing about this size. It's got it's about that thick. Um, it's called Out of Bounds. And it features Karen Pirrie.
0: Oh, who could play Karen Pirrie in a television show?
1: Well, it, it, I, I don't know. It would be a difficult one to cast, you know, because she's Scottish. Yes. Um, and she's a detective. Yes. Uh, and she's a wee bit shambolic. Yes. Uh, so I can't think of a single Scottish actress who could possibly play I her. can
0: play straight. <laughs> but no, it, it could be you, Susan. L- listen to this. Oh, you're awful handsome, man. See, I can... Get... <laughs> That's, that's like, all I need to do is talk about Touche Claire, and I've nailed heterosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, it, it could indeed be you. You that's, have to work, you have to work a wee bit on your Fife accent.
0: I'm Fife <laughs> That's alright. That's not bad. I'm Fife my name's Karen Perry from Fife. <laughs> Do we say, do I sound like that? Aye, that's how you sound. <laughs> the, more you, the more you drink, the more you sound like that. But any you, you're like, oh, I'm Fife. Uh, I'll
1: come Fife.
0: Uh, well, this spiags
1: fly backwards to keep the dude out there, are right.
0: let's talk like this and then no one will understand what okay. word you're saying, that'll be excellent, won't
1: it? Me and Ian Rankin, one time, we we're, we're, were in America, we we're, were doing a in-conversation thing in, in, in an American uh, crime festival, and we said, let's go on and just talk to each other and get Braid Fife. So we started off and I said, ah, oh, it's off the brave of them, put the tois on the gathering. <laughs> <laughs> and as the woman in the front row said very loudly, are they talking Gaelic? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: it comes out in August, though, isn't it? A pre order from a book. Sorry, yeah,
1: we're talking about book. Yeah, yeah. It comes out in just, August. It's yeah. just
0: because I think at this point I should probably uh-huh. mention you've got a book uh-huh. out or something.
1: Hi. It's, and it's it's, it's set um, partly in Edinburgh, and Edinburgh. Edinburgh? You'll have had your tea. <laughs> You'll. You'll have had your murder, <laughs> <laughs> and um, a, a, a wee bit, in, a wee totty bit in London. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we wouldn't film that bit for the TV show. <laughs> we'll set it in the Bahamas instead, Val. We'll that, go to the that Bahamas. Would, that, that would kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. If, good, if you you got we got could the I move the Houses to of to to Parliament to the Bahamas. I just wanted to check because I know you've got a book out, and I think that's something yeah. I should probably talk about. Yeah. Um, right, quick fire. It's around. a really good book. Is it? Uh huh. Right. <laughs> uh huh. You're supposed to say that. Oh, good, I, well, I have read it. It's not out yet. I'd be lying to the audience if I said it was a good book. I have read it. Well, I used to be a lawyer. I can't lie to people. It's like my brownie oath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, sure yes. it's a very good book. I enjoyed the last one. Weren't you
1: one of the lawyers that was involved in uh, the contracts for the Edinburgh Trams?
0: Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I was also the Royal Bank of Scotland's lawyer. <laughs> now, so... <laughs> I know everything. So, quick fire round... Uh, is this general knowledge? No, it's not. It's just general questions that okay. I'm interested in, because I don't know that these are things I don't know about you, Val. Favorite colour? Blue. Blue, any particular type of blue? Be more the, specific.
1: The kind of turquoisey blue. Turquoisey kind blue. Kind of turquoisey blue, like that this color. Shirt.
0: Favorite food, either genre or specific? Mine is macaroni pies. What's
1: yours? <laughs> Porridge. No! <laughs> I Shut really, up! I really like my porridge in the morning. I know you're
0: Scottish, but you're scottish it way well, up I here. Saw,
1: okay, I mean, if, if I can't have porridge, I'll have cheese. <laughs> cheese That's is brilliant. Like, of
0: all the food, there, I'm like, what food do you like Val McDermott? Cheese, cheese
1: is brilliant. Like cheese? Cheese, all sorts of cheese. Lovely runny cheeses, blue <laughs> cheeses. Oh Cheeses with a line of ash through the middle. Cheese is wrapped in nettles. Cheese is brilliant. I hate cheese. cheese. Is the best. That's the wrong
0: answer. <laughs> so, so I forgot to tell you there's a right and a wrong I answer. I quite
1: like pies as well, Susan. Listen.
0: I just like a macaroni Especially pie. Especially at the
1: football. I like a pie at half time.
0: I like a, The first time I talked about macaroni pies on the news quiz, I thought Sandy Toxin was going to vomit on herself. Because <laughs> she went, What's a macaroni pie? And I said, Well, it's, a, it's just a pie with macaroni in it. It's delicious.
1: Macaroni cheese. It's macaroni cheese,
0: macaroni cheese pie.
1: In Scotland, we put everything in pies. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know if, if you've familiar with um, these giant horse's head sculptures that were, were erected a few years ago by the, by the motorway. The, yeah. And they're called the Kelpies.
0: Kelpies, yeah. Yeah.
1: And actually, what there's a, there's a sort of tenth of tenth of a size maquette of them that goes on tour around Scotland. So you quite often you, you, you turn a corner and suddenly there's these two miniature, well they're not miniature, they're, they're quite big, they're yeah, uh, horse's heads. And it says along the bottom, thekelpies.com. So my son who's 15 uh, looks at this one day and he goes... Fickle pies. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, what's a thickle? Yeah. <laughs> and I, and so he said. I, I said. he got very defensive when I explained it to him. He said, "Well, he said you put everything in pies in Scotland. How was I to know?" <laughs>
0: Favourite music artist? I've left that generic. I haven't said pop, I haven't said rock. I just wish to know, because we've never talked about music. Uh, What's your favourite music artist?
1: It would probably um, be a a hard-fought tie between Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen.
0: Oh, the winter nights must fly by round at your house. (laughs) (laughs) Put Leonard Cohen on, I'm feeling cheerful. (laughs) No, Johnny Mitchell! <laughs> the correct answer was The Spice Girls. <laughs> Favourite film, Val McDermott?
1: Favourite film. Well, this is a slightly embarrassing thing, but, but there is one film that when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling down, when like, I, I just everything seems to have gone to shit that particular day, always makes me laugh. Yeah? What's up, Doc? Oh, it always makes me laugh.
0: One person it's agrees. One agrees. <laughs> I
1: cor- mean, you know, I, I mean, I enjoy all the the the, the, you know, the ones you'd expect me to enjoy, the yeah. film noirs and all that, yeah. and, and, and all that. But but whenever I need a wee boost, what's up, doc? Does it for me every time.
0: The correct answer was Tootsie. That's that's quite <laughs> Which close. Which is so my favourite. Col- be, oh, all the correct answers. To these are all mine.
1: Yes. <laughs> How did I do on the favourite colour?
0: Oh well, mine's purple, so okay. I'll give you that. Okay. Um, Well, my partner's
1: favourite colour is purple. Does that that count at all? No. No,
0: Okay. Um, trying. I'm uh, trying here, you know. Favourite flavour of Angel Delight? (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is a serious question. Now, you know, you know, Val, I have got into fights on Twitter about this very subject.
1: I'm going to say, I'm going to say Butterscotch.
0: You are a liar! (laughs) The only correct answer is strawberry. Butterscotch (laughs) Angel Delight is the food of Satan.
1: (laughs) As opposed to Strawberry Angel Delight.
0: Strawberry Angel Delight is delicious. Add some fresh strawberries and it's beautiful. It's like a fancy dessert in a restaurant. (laughs) Yes or no to carnation milk?
1: Well, it depends if you're going to eat it or wear it. Eat it. I think the correct answer is yes.
0: Is the correct answer, Val well done. I was going to say Tip Top, but I didn't know how many people remembered Tip Top. A fancy pudding when I was growing up was a can of fruit salad and some Tip Top. Oh. When my, uh, my gran made ice cream, she used to freeze carnation milk. That was the ice cream.
1: Yeah. My, my mother had a similar one with, uh, that involved evaporated milk and a Cadbury's flake. We might have been working class, but we had standards. No, absolutely.
0: <laughs> someone, uh, someone tweeted me uh, and said, uh, it's lovely to hear a working class accent on Radio 4. <laughs> when I was on, because I'm Scottish. And, uh, and we're all working class. And uh, we used to have Mint Viscounts. Yeah. But you're that's middle class. Surely that's a middle class thing, Mint Viscounts. But you're, Viscount. you're not
1: working class.
0: No, I, I mean, I, I don't know what class I am, but I would certainly say I'm not working class. No? Yes.
1: Never done a day's work in your life.
0: <laughs> She's right. So... <laughs> no, I, it was really hard work being a lawyer. That was a that was really so difficult job. Yeah, yeah. Like being, do
1: down do th- like being down the pit. No, have you? Or working in the shipyard.
0: No, have you? No. You're not Nicholas Parsons, you're not working... <laughs> <this>. <laughs> Who do you think is more hated amongst... it's not my questions. Because you used to be a journalist, I used to be a lawyer. Who do you think is more hated by the general public, journalists or lawyers?
1: Journalists! Lawyers! <laughs> <Liars>. Lawyers! <laughs> <Liars. laughs> Shall we just compromise on bankers? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> yep. Politicians. So, uh, just last question, then we're going to take questions from uh, the audience. I just, I'm very interested, when I wrote mine, I wrote it like I write my comedy, which is I, I get up, i half seven, wave my wife off to work, and I sit down from half eight till twelve when I take a break for the daily politics, watch it with the cats, then one till five I write, and then I, I stop. Are you disciplined when you write? Do you do that? I'm kind of
1: disciplined, but in a different way. Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever written a decent sentence before 11 o'clock in the morning. No. I start a lot later. Do you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're
0: a late nighter, aren't you? I am a late nighter. This is the one thing we clash on, is that I like to go to my bed at 10 in the evening. I'm a right early, early, early. I get up about five or six in the morning. So I like, not not through choice; choices, just I can't sleep. And you're always like, ah, let's meet at 10 for dinner. (laughs) 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 After uh, news night's my cut off. But you're a late night person. I'm a late
1: night person. Um, I I generally sort of like, you know, sit down at my desk about half nine, 10 o'clock and I don't really do anything constructive before before 11. I mean, that's when I sort of answer emails and look at Twitter and, and have another cup of coffee. Yeah, and uh,
0: look at Twitter again. Look at
1: Twitter again. Yeah, and, and look at um, pictures
0: of cats I've put up on Twitter. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Because I love
1: you. I love I, I love it's, it's one of the things that I start my day with, with the joy of your cats on Twitter. Yeah,
0: I named one of my I named one of my cats DCI Jane Tennyson. That's how much I love crime fiction and crime. Mm-hmm. She's not, she look um, like but So,
1: so I, I then work, I mean, I, I I I write in 20 minute burst, basically. I write, All right. I write so 20 minutes, then I have to stop and do something else, whether that's answer emails or make another cup of coffee or go to the post office or play play a game for 20 minutes or so. Um, and then, so I do, I do that kind of pattern through the day, sort of, I'll stop and eat something at some point when I remember I haven't eaten anything for a while. Um, and then I'll stop and round about seven o'clock in the evening, cook, cook dinner or, or eat so dinner. It's
0: so late to eat dinner, Val. <laughs> That's so late. Are you sure you're
1: not American?
0: No. When I was younger, my mum always had the dinner on the table exactly when the pips went for the 6 o'clock news on Radio 4. Mm. And so I've got like a Pavlov's dog reaction to hearing the pips on Radio 4 now. It's like that's when dinner has to be.
1: But they have the pips every hour.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's always a wee macaroni pie in the fridge. (laughs) So then, then, then but, but then,
1: if it's going well, if I'm having a good day and everything's flowing well. I'll go back after dinner and, and work till you know, maybe midnight, maybe one o'clock, if it's, if it's going good.
0: And uh, finally, before we take questions, I reluctantly, because it was brilliant. No, I didn't. I picked your cracking wakes for pick of the week when I did the uh, Radio Four. It was an extraordinary adaptation. If you didn't listen to it, it was brilliant. Uh, And I thought the music was...
1: The music was great.
0: ...absolutely terrifying and brilliant. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy... I mean, it it sounded fantastic. Did you enjoy adapting that for Radio 4?
1: I did. Um, I was a bit terrified to begin with, because I've never actually adapted anybody else's work before. And I've always loved John Wyndham's science fiction novels, back from when I was a teenager. And they're books that I go back and and reread at regular intervals. And I think they they stand up to the test of time, Mm. because actually they're about characters. Um, you know, the science, the science in a way is kind of irrelevant, the, 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 they tell human stories um, and the chance to adapt this, we We, we, came up, we pitched it to Radio 4 and I, I thought, you know, I've never done this before, I could well completely screw up here, I'll just do a wee quiet adaptation that nobody will notice. You know, didn't happen. So No, it didn't happen. No. It was, the, the BBC Philharmonic got wind of this and they said, we'd like to be involved in this and we'd like to commission a score to go with this, this work. And Radio 4 goes, we don't do that sort of thing. We're a spoken word channel. We don't have music. <laughs> um, but pressure was brought to bear and they eventually agreed that they would do music. And then uh, some other bright spark said, well, if we're going to do music and this new score, why don't we do it live in front of an audience? Yeah. So suddenly this wee quiet thing that I was going to do in a, quarter, in a corner that nobody was going to notice suddenly became this major Radio 4 production um, and, and was, was, was completely terrifying.
0: It was, it was and, brilliant. It was brilliant. And, and it was terrifying to listen to, though, because if you haven't listened to it, spoiler alert, England floods and Scotland survives. And uh, It's true. I didn't make it up. No. Uh, anyway, so that's us chatted. Uh, we've got oh. some time for questions now. Um, uh, I think some uh, lithe young youngsters with microphones, right. Uh, We'll take the man with the hat. Thank
1: you. Uh, This is a question for both of you. As you know, Agatha Christie once came to this very hotel to escape from the world
0: outside. If you had to escape from the world outside, where would you go?
1: Ah, I would go to the Northwest Highlands there's not very many people, they've got great beaches and wonderful smoke houses where they make great smoked cheese.
0: <laughs> See that cheese man, uh, I would go to uh, uh, probably Provincetown, which is a lovely place in Cape Cod uh, and I would go there because I think New England Coming from Glasgow, it feels like a fairy tale land, New England, Cape Cod. It, it just seems beautiful. Mm, so i go is. there. They've got a bar called Vixen's uh, that I managed to use my fake ID to get into when I was 19. So I'd go back there <laughs> with my proper ID. Yes. Good question. Thank you, Mr. Man yes. with the hat. Are you going to go right back there?
1: There's somebody over there. Either that's well. a
0: big mirror. Uh, there's a man over there.
1: There's a man over there. There's yes. a man
0: over there. We've both spotted yes. a man. We've
1: both spotted a man, yes. <laughs>
0: We are both able to identify a man And you and, the, and he looks like a nice man. He does look like a nice man, a very handsome man. You've got to keep. My got, God, I'm so, so You've got to work on your straight bit, Susan. Yes. You know,
1: if you're going to be Karen Perry, you've got to work it.
0: Okay. okay. Oh, you look so lovely. How's that? <laughs>
1: yeah. That's a, made my day. That's. That's.
0: There's something else I know that they do. Hold on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you could. You could say. That's very nice facial hair.
0: That's very nice facial hair. As we call it, that's a nice Katie Holmes. So he's, he's got a beard. It's a long... Come and ask me later on. Right,
1: well, circling right back to the beginning, you were talking about um, the sitcom and how people were saying about how
0: the women, um, the women had all the jokes and the men, the men didn't. Yes. I just wondered if either of you have had the opportunity yet to see the new Ghostbusters film, and if so, yeah. what do you think? Yeah! <laughs> I was more excited than I have ever been in my entire life. Uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's Ghostbusters, which is the best film ever, but it's now even better. Secondly, the audience was full of uh, younger girls who are watching a film where four women get to kick ass. and. All of those people who said, oh, they shouldn't remake it, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you, to be honest. <laughs> I've spent my entire life watching films where men get to have all the fun and four incredibly talented, funny women kicked the arse out of that film. What, is, what made me sad is that in Britain, we cannot persuade television commissioners to allow more than one woman on television at a time to be funny. And I think if you look at American TV and we laugh at Americans and think they're rubbish, they are streets yourself. ahead of us in terms of commissioning excellent comedy with women in it allowed mm. to be funny. Yeah. Have you seen Ghostbusters? I haven't seen it's it yet. It's amazing, Val. It's, a, 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 it's amazing. I've been busy, Susan. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's, but yes, I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's definitely it's on oh my god, list. Oh god, I thought, did you I make mean, it? I have to say, oh, what,
0: brilliant. Good, the, right the
1: the original was <laughs> the original was one of those that was one of those like Einstein light bulb in the head moments, you know. First yeah. time Seeing Sigourney Weaver, and I thought, that is the woman who will play me in the movie of my life.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that is absolutely right, Val. Oh, that is, isn't That it? is absolutely right. I mean, we're like, right. we're like
1: twins separated at birth.
0: My God. She's, the, she's too tall to play you though, so, isn't she? Well, they could just, they
1: could just like, have lots of tall people acting with her. Then no. she wouldn't look so tall.
0: Who would play me in the movie of your life? Be nice. <laughs>
1: Um... You probably... No, that's okay, that's fine,
0: that's good. Good question, mate. Nice beard. Anyone else? Anyone else? Is there anyone at the back? I can't even see it. There's a... Mu- yeah, you got one? Okay, so we know that Susan, you have aspirations to be the first woman of Scotland. What job are you going no. to give Val? Right, if, I, if, I'm the, if I'm the First Minister of Scotland? Is that the right? Is that the question? If I were it? yes. yes. I, I think Ruth Davidson probably has those aspirations before I do. But, uh, <laughs> but if people I was can't
1: to... tell you apart and they never see you in the same room at the same oh, time. Oh
0: God! <laughs> I tell you, I try and make a joke of it, but it really gets on my tits. That and being mistaken for the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party is not a. <laughs> It's not exactly a, pot. She's a... She's a nice woman. It's no, no disrespect to Ruth Davidson. she's a lovely woman, but dear God. I mean, if someone said, oh, you look like Angelina Jolie, I'd go, yes, I do, thank you very much. It's a bit of a... Uh, I think, Val... But she
1: has good photo ops, Ruth Davidson. You see her driving trains and driving tanks and... Holding fishes. Ex- yeah, exactly. Good so photo ops.
0: Like, I liked her in the last election campaign because she just went for it. She did. She locked journalists in cars and fed them ice creams and I just thought, thought that was cool. Yeah, she knew
1: she wasn't going to get any votes so she might as well just have fun.
0: I would make Val McDermott, if this is okay, knowing your love of libraries, I would make you in charge of uh, education probably mm-hmm. with specific remit for libraries and community education so that you could put the library system back in place again. Yep and get get people going to (laughs) libraries. Knightswood was my library. What was your library?
1: Kirkcaldy Central Library. The best thing my parents ever did for me was move house to live opposite the library when I was six. Um, And that became my home from home. Pretty much every night after school, I would go over there and change my library books. Yeah. Um, And you could only take out four books at a time. Uh, And two of them had to be non-fiction. Because this it, Presbyterian Scotland couldn't just, <laughs> couldn't just have pleasure.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. So you had to have two, two, you have two non-fiction books, so you learned something as well as have fun. Exactly.
1: Exactly that. Yeah.
0: Are you going That's... to reinstate that rule when you're head of education for me?
1: Well, I think it would be no bad thing because, <laughs> because it made me read all sorts of things I otherwise wouldn't have read. You know, right. to, get, to get over a weekend, you'd need four books. Yeah. And so I would read things I would I would read history, I would read geography, I would read natural history, Tarka the Otter. Um, and for some reason poetry and drama counts as non-fiction in the Dewey decimal classification. <laughs> so I would sometimes read poetry. And I tell you what what I really loved was was um was those those books of, of of myths and 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 And, th- and I said so and God bless those librarians who never laughed at you however stupid your questions were. Uh, and, and, and I remember going in there when my, my reading age kind of exceeded my actual knowledge, and asking if they had any more of those books of Norse legends. <laughs> I loved I loved those myths and legends. <laughs> they were great. They were just like reading fiction.
0: <laughs> any other questions? Any other questions? Don't be shy. We're sweating up here. Don't be shy. There's somebody
1: over there with their hand up?
0: Oh, I couldn't see. Well done. <laughs>
1: It's because no. I'm taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm making a big deal out of that. No. I mean, you know, it's, it's not something I get Make to see very often. Make sure you watch often,
0: pointless either. in September, Val. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When Susan becomes the next Doctor Who, yes, will Val be a companion or no? No, uh, I am going to stick to the traditional... Uh, I'm going to have a boy as my companion. It's going to be Tom Hardy. What? And we're going to kiss all the time for plot reasons. Uh, for some reason, I find Tom Hardy incredibly attractive. Um, Val will have a role, I suspect, as some form of, like, the master. Maybe you could be a reincarnation oh, yes. of the master. Would you like that? Good. I
1: quite like that, yes. yes. Uh-huh. she'll be
0: the master uh-huh. and possibly
1: the mistress the mistress
0: well I don't think we need to gender to find it's like someone on Twitter said I want to be the first female doctor and someone said does that mean you'll be called the nurse <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last long that conversation <laughs> someone else said their hand up over there there there's someone there <clears throat> oh gosh there's another one there go for it go for it oh. we'll come to you I promise I saw you I feel read pointing, but it's the only way to do it. Uh, There's a question for you, Susan. It sounds as if Val's Desert Island book might be Treasure Island. Yeah. What would yours be? Um, Careful the, how
1: you answer this.
0: Val McDermott. I do know
1: 104 different ways to kill you.
0: Splinter the Silence. Um, <laughs> uh, I do reread your books a lot, Val. I have all of your books. I genuinely do. I don't, I don't mean to suggest it. I do. I love your books. Uh, when, I, when, I was, uh, when I got married, uh, Val came to my wedding And there were lots of people there. I wouldn't say they were famous necessarily, but the one person that my family all stood around staring at was Val McDermott. And I remember my auntie Joan went, Is that Val McDermott? I said, Yes, it is. She went, Do you think I can say hello? (laughs) And I said, No, she's a terrible woman. No, I said, Yes. yes." (laughs) "Um, uh, So the book I love most in the world, There's actually three or four of them. Molly Weir's Autobiographies. (laughs) Genuinely are the most wonderful books I've ever read in my life. It's true. Shoes are for Sunday. Uh, They were in my mum and dad's house. And it's a story of how a wee Scottish woman ended up on Radio 4 and didn't know quite how it happened. And that, it resonates with me. Her story, I didn't go to drama school and she ended up on Radio 4 and... They're beautifully written and she's a slightly strange Presbyterian repressed woman but they're delightful stories and I read them again and again and again because I think Molly Weir was the first Scottish female stand-up and she's ignored because everyone thinks of her as the woman from the Flash adverts or Rent-A-Ghost and Molly Weir was a tremendous comedian and impressionist Mm -hmm. and my dream project is to do her life I want to do a show about her life to show people that she was a, an amazing woman.
1: What's holding you back?
0: No one wants to make it. <laughs> Probably because I've made her a lesbian in it. I don't know. <laughs> Someone at the back there. Yeah. Yeah, you both know. <laughs> the... <King Elmer. laughs> is this mic working? Yes, it is. <laughs> You're both no strangers to uh, television programmes and have been on a few in your time. Which television programme that you've not been on would you like to be on if you had the chance?
1: Bing bong, bing bong, dee de, dee dee de, 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 de. Really?
0: Aye. Really? A lot of people are asking what programme that was. <Mormon Torah> <after> <Lipattata> <verb> <laughs> University Challenge. I was on that. Did you win? No, semi finals.
1: Oh, Beaten you go? by
0: Boris Johnson's sister, Rachel Johnson. Oh, there you go. She's all right. Yeah. Um, my show. Built by
1: association.
0: Yeah. My, I would like to be on anything that Sally Wainwright has ever written. Yes. Mm. So, any of her shows, I would kill to be on one of her shows. Whether it be Last Tango in Halifax, whether it be Happy. whatever it is, I think Sally Wainwright writes some of the most amazing stuff I have ever does. seen in my life.
1: But you see, that's because you're an actor. You know, I, had, I had a cameo role in uh, the first uh, episode of The Wire and the Blood. You were a
0: journalist. I
1: was. I, I remember was a journalist. Seeing it. I was a journalist. Yeah. Um, originally, I was supposed to be journalist two. Um, and and my 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 line was, how do you feel about that, Inspector Jordan? And then my second line <laughs> was... Is that how you said it? Well, I didn't get the chance to say it. Oh, right. Because the day we were recording the scenes, I turned up and I said, oh, we're not going to do those scenes today. Uh, we're doing, you can be journalist number one.
0: Right. Oh. And, so my line was
1: where was he arrested? Right. And, and so I did my line of, as, as the police car came down amongst this sort of mob of journalists, yeah. where was he arrested?
0: Yeah, did you do that?
1: And, and um, after, after this, we, we saw the rushes, and we were looking at the rushes, and Robson turned to me, and he said, said he said, well, that was amazing. He said, uh, he said um, next season, next, six, next series, you could be a corpse. <laughs>
0: So University Challenge and uh, anything Sally Wainwright has ever written. uh, Jeremy Paxman is frightening on University Challenge. We had the Chief Medical Officer for Scotland on our team, otherwise we would have tanked. (laughs) (laughs) One more question. One One more question. Better be a good one. Anyone got a question? If not, then we'll all just retire to the bar. Oh, by the way, we're, all, we're both signing books down. I, I, I Don't feel bad if you don't want to buy my book and uh, for me to sign it because I know it's a crime festival and my book's not about crime, it's about depression. It's funny.
1: <laughs> it's really good. Quick question for Pam.
0: If you were asked
1: to write the missing story where the author had died, is there oh. anywhere or any person that you would go for? You mean a sort of continuation of another author's work? Yeah, um, to be honest, I'm not that interested in, in, in doing a continuation of other people's work and the kind of ventriloquism. I did do the reworking of Northanger Abbey, but that was a kind of different thing because I wasn't trying to ventriloquise Jane Austen. Um, but I've, I don't really uh, want to, to attempt the, the work of, of any of the, the writers who, whose who's stuff I admire so much. So I think that you know, they did what they did and they did it beautifully. Um, and there's no need for me to, to try to replicate that and plus I've got too many books in my own head that I want to write without uh, having to cannibalise other people's imaginary creations.
0: One of the uh, greatest uh, moments of my life was when I told my mother that Val had named uh, some characters after us in Northanger Abbey and my mother was like, oh that's such an honour that's wonderful, who is it? And it was the servants, wasn't it? <laughs> And I did tell my mother and I gave her it and she went, it was the servants. I went, I know they're great, aren't they? And she was like, (laughs) (laughs) And it made me very happy that it's, what was it? It was Calman. It was Calman. It was Calman. Calman the driver and Mrs. Calman the housekeeper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my mum was delighted. Um, I was delighted, to be honest. Um, and that's, that's it. You've been lovely. Um, it has been my absolute pleasure talking to uh, one of the greatest authors we have, and also someone I count as a very dear friend. Please give it up for the gorgeous Val <laughs> exam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event by Harrogate International Festivals. Don't forget to rate and subscribe for this podcast. For more events, recordings, resources and information about our arts charity, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com.